0: Welcome back to the Community Christian Church Podcast. This week, we're joined by community pastor Ted Canaris for week three in our series, Searching for Answers. Community is one church in four expressions, meaning online, in person, and in small groups around the globe. Learn more and plan your visit at communitychristian.org. I wanna start today by asking this question. Have you ever given your trust only to be let down? I mean, it's happened to all of us, right? Let's face it. We all have good reasons to have trust issues. For example, it happens when you buy a lollipop that looks perfectly normal like this, only to open it and find out that it actually looks like this. I mean, who would do this? No Panda at all? It was just the wrapper. I mean, come on. I can imagine the kid's meltdown when he opened that lollipop. Or how about this one? One minute, Rick Astley is telling you he's never gonna give you up. And then he turns right around and gives up on love altogether. I mean, this is the original Rickroll. And then there's this. This one is just the worst. <laughs> Imagine showing up in the office and seeing this perfectly good box of Krispy Kreme donuts, only to open the box and find this. Now, what kind of monster would do something? Like this, whoever did this has no heart at all. This is why I have trust issues. Now, of course, we can laugh at these examples, but we also question the trustworthiness of other things, other much more consequential things. And if recent research is to be believed, one of the things that we question is the Bible. In fact, Americans' trust in the Bible is significantly declining. A recent study from the American Worldview Inventory conducted in 2020, produced by the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University, found this. The percentage of Americans who believe that the Bible is the inspired, true word of God is down more than 21 percentage points since the year 2000. This parallels a similarly steep 50% decrease in biblical worldview in America over the same time period, a shift from 12%. To the current 6%, the lowest number ever recorded. Now, I'm sure that the statistics within the church community are more encouraging, at least I hope so. But I think we all, at some point or another, struggle with the question that we're going to examine today. Can we trust the Bible? If you have struggled with this question, well, you are not alone. So together, let's search for answers. I think often when people talk about the Bible, they tend to focus on what the Bible is not. For instance, they say the Bible is not simply a history book or a science book, or they say it's not a set of rules that we have to follow. And in doing so, we can fail to see what the Bible is and how reading the Bible offers us the opportunity to journey through the ancient scriptural text that God gives us a a glimpse of how God sought to love his people and to be loved by them in return. To understand the Bible is to grasp an epic story that spans centuries, crosses borders, breaks down ethnic and cultural barriers to reveal God's identity and his purposes to his people. It's truly amazing. And really, we thought this short video from our friends at The Bible Project might be a really good place to start to help us better understand what the Bible is.
1: The Bible. It's one of the most influential books in human history.
2: It explores the big questions of why we exist. It's inspired many people to do amazing things. And confused many others. And you've probably got one sitting around somewhere. So, what is the Bible actually?
1: Well, the Bible is a small library of books that all emerged out of the history of the people of ancient Israel. And in one sense, they were just like any other ancient civilization. But among them were a long line of individuals called prophets. And they viewed Israel's story as anything but ordinary. They saw it as a central part of what God was doing for all humanity. And these prophets were literary geniuses. Really? Yeah, they expertly crafted the Hebrew language to write epic narratives, very sophisticated poetry. They were masters of metaphor and storytelling, and they leveraged all of this to explore life's most complicated questions about death and
2: life and the human struggle. So there's a lot of different authors writing this book.
1: Yeah, and these texts were produced over a thousand year period, starting with Israel's origins in Egypt then leading up to their kingdom with their first temple. But eventually, they were conquered by the Babylonians, who took them away into exile. Then, at a crucial moment in their history, many Israelites returned to their land. They built a second temple, they reformed their identity, and this is when the Jewish scriptures began to be formed into the shape that we have
2: them today. Okay, the Jewish Bible. What's in it?
1: Well, in Hebrew, it's called by an acronym, Tanakh. The T stands for Torah, sometimes called the law. That's Israel's five-book foundation story. The N stands for Nevi'im, the Hebrew word for prophets. and This section consists of the historical books that tell Israel's story from the prophets' point of view. Then you get the poetic books of the prophets themselves. The K stands for Ketuvim, the Hebrew word for writings. This is a diverse collection of poetic books, wisdom books, and more narrative. And the Jewish people believe that through all of these literary
2: works, God speaks to his people. So, this is a lot of different writings over a long period of time. Why did they put them all together like this?
1: Well, altogether, these texts tell an epic story about how God is working through these people to bring order and beauty out of the chaos of our world. And it all builds up to a hope for a new leader who would come and renew all creation. And then the Tanakh concludes, and this leader never comes. So it's an expertly crafted work, but it's missing an ending? That's exactly right. Now, a few centuries later, a Jewish prophet comes onto the scene named Jesus of Nazareth. He claimed he was carrying the Tanakh story forward.
2: Yeah, so Jesus did a bunch of cool stuff, was killed, but his followers claimed he was alive from the dead.
1: Yeah, they said that Jesus was that long-awaited leader who would restore the world. And so his earliest followers called apostles, they composed new literary works about the story of Jesus. They called these good news or the gospel. They formed an account called Acts about the spread of the Jesus movement outside of Israel. And then they circulated letters to different Jesus communities all around the ancient world.
2: And they saw these writings as part of the scripture.
1: Yeah, the apostles wrote all of this as the fulfillment of that epic story found in the Tanakh. And they were continuing the literary genius of the Jewish tradition. They also believed that God was speaking to his people through these texts alongside
0: the scriptures of Israel. See, the Bible has a little bit of everything for everyone. And this wide array of stories, genres, personal testimonies, prophecies, and prayers that offer us truth and encouragement and guidance as we navigate life. 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 through 17 says it this way, All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It also corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and to equip his people to do every good work. But still, the question remains, can we trust the Bible? How can we know that what we find in the Bible is truly reliable? In the time we have today, I want to share with you three ways I believe that the Bible can be shown to be a reliable document that is relevant to our lives in the 21st century. The first reason is that the Bible is historically reliable. This ancient text has been tested and tried over and over and over again, and yet it continues to prove its reliability through historical facts and eyewitness accounts. To explain what I mean by historically reliable, let's zero in on the New Testament and specifically the first four books of the New Testament where we find the story of Jesus often referred to as the Gospels. The Gospels are reliable because they're based on firsthand accounts of Jesus's life and ministry. Matthew was an eyewitness to Jesus's life and teaching. Mark got his information from Peter, another eyewitness. Luke, a doctor and historian, thoroughly researched his gospel by interviewing and examining other eyewitness accounts. John was among Jesus' closest friends who recorded what he saw and heard himself. The gospels give us accurate, evidence-supported eyewitness accounts of the unparalleled life and ministry of Jesus. And there are other factors that can help determine whether ancient literature is historically reliable as well. One critically important question to ask is this, how many years passed between the original work, the original writing, and the earliest copy? Today, English versions of classic literature are reproduced from copies called manuscripts, and the original writings, known as the autographs, were lost many, many years ago. Now, he- here's why this is so significant. If the gap between the autograph, the original document, and the earliest manuscript spans a long time, there's a greater likelihood that the text has been altered in some way. But if the gap is short, the likelihood of that text changing is much less. Now, to put this in perspective, let's consider how the New Testament stacks up against other classic ancient literature and history. For example, Homer's Iliad was written in 800 BC. The earliest copy we have is from 400 years later in 400 B.C. Another example, Tacitus' Annals, is a 950-year gap between the original writing and the early copy. Now, in contrast, the oldest fragment of the Gospels was discovered in Egypt in 1920, and it was from John's Gospel, and it was dated around 125 A.D., and John's Gospel was written somewhere between 70 AD and 80 AD. That means that there was only 50 years' difference between the original autograph and the earliest copy. Now, compared to the other ancient documents that are considered historically accurate, the evidence for the text of the Bible being what was originally written is, well, completely off the charts. A second reliability factor to consider when it comes to early manuscripts is to look at how many copies of the document or the manuscript exist. The more copies you have, the more you can check to see if these various copies are accurate or have been significantly altered in some way. So from our three works that we previously mentioned, 1,800 copies of the Iliad exist. That seems pretty good. But when it comes to Tacitus's Annals, just 31 copies, not as good. And for the New Testament, any guesses? We have 6,000 manuscripts and more continue to be discovered. Now, I know this is a lot of numbers and dates, but I just want you to see that in comparison to other historically trusted literature from the ancient world, the Bible completely blows away all the standards for historic reliability. However, when we ask the question, can we trust the Bible, Most of us are probably asking more than just historic reliability. We wonder if the Bible is culturally reliable. It may be accurate, but is it still reliable for today? Many people have issues with some passages that they see as regressive, oppressive, or outdated. Some argue that the Bible is a book that is out of sync or out of alignment with the current reality and therefore just can't be trusted. But maybe it would really help to think of it this way. Have you ever uh, looked back at some old pictures and been embarrassed of how you looked when you were growing up? Or if you're not old enough to have old embarrassing photos of yourself yet, do you ever get embarrassed for someone else about the way that they used to walk around? The shorts were ridiculously short. The hair is just terrible. And I sometimes wonder, how are people not consistently laughing at me? Well, the reason is because they all look just like me. Everyone wore shorts like those. Everyone had terrible haircuts just like mine. It was normal at the time. In a similar way, we have to keep that in mind when we read the Bible. For example, when we read about characters in the Bible, sometimes they have multiple wives, and culturally, the man would play a more important role in the family. And we might think, well, that's so sexist. And you know what? That's true. It is. But in that time, it was normal. The Bible reflects the culture in which it was written. Therefore, we're going to notice some things that seem out of sync with our culture. However, when you read carefully, what you'll realize is that for every time it mentions someone in Scripture having multiple wives— things did not go well for that person. In fact, there are always a ton of major problems and issues that are part of their stories. And when you read it this way, you'll see that these stories read more like an example of what not to do, rather an example of what to do. And as we dig deeper, we'll see that Scripture points out that God's design was not to see women as property, which was a terrible reality in the ancient world but is dignified, worthy of honor, image bearers of God, leaders in his church. And not only that, but in story after story, God cares for the vulnerable. He cares for those in the society that would have been considered the least or the lowest. These are the truths that transcend culture. When it comes to the Bible, it is so important for us to understand that while the narrative of the Bible reflects the culture in which it was written, the message of the Bible transcends culture. Whereas the Old Testament scholar John Walton puts it, the Bible is not written to us, but it is written for us. And here's something else to consider We all have a worldview that is continuously being shaped by our surroundings. From the moment we're born, we're shaped by our culture, our family of origin, and many other aspects of our lives. And inevitably, this can cause us to read the Bible through our sort of own cultural lens. A few years back, a friend of mine did a little exercise at a seminary class where they read the story of the prodigal son. And the room was, was very, very diverse. There were people from South Korea, there were Hispanics, there were Africans, and their perspectives were, were very, very interesting. The folks from South Korea, which is more of an honor and shame culture, could not believe that the son would have such disrespect towards the father. The people from a few Eastern African nations, because of their culture being more communal, couldn't believe that no one took the time to help the prodigal son. They were shocked that no one offered him something to eat. While the Hispanics in the room, who came from an area with pretty extreme poverty, could not believe that the son would squander this incredible inheritance. This exercise revealed something important to the class, and I think it's important for us as well. Our cultural lens plays a major role in how we read and understand Scripture. And now here's something else that we need to consider. We may find ourselves rejecting the Bible, rejecting it because it expresses views that are different than our views, views we don't like personally or views that are unpopular culturally. Now, while I totally understand this reaction, and and I've honestly wrestled with it myself, isn't it kind of small-minded or even arrogant to assume that, that God would always agree with us? If God is really God and the Bible really is his word, wouldn't we expect him to occasionally contradict or correct us? Should we be suspicious if God always said what we wanted him to say, or if he always confirmed the views in our particular culture, in our particular moment of history? We should expect scripture, if it is what it claims to be, to challenge all of us at some point or another. And that's what you'll find as you read scripture. Throughout history and across cultures, the Bible has been an equal opportunity offender of all people everywhere, even when it was first written. The message of the Bible transcends culture. It's a culturally reliable across all cultures in every moment of all history. I know some of you love talking about all of this, and you want to do a deep dive into the historical or cultural reliability of the Bible. And if that's you, I want to encourage you to do that. And I promise you, it'll be a great investment in your life and in your faith. But let's set aside all that academic and philosophical stuff just for a moment, and I want us to try to think about it in another way. If you consider yourself a Christian, a Christ follower, what Jesus thinks about the Bible should be monumentally important, right? So how did Jesus relate to the Bible? Well, let me give you a little glimpse. In Matthew's account, Jesus says these words. He says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, by any, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. At Jesus' time, They did not have the Bible as we know it today. They had the Torah, the Law of Moses, and the Prophets, what today we call the Old Testament. Jesus said he didn't come to get rid of these scriptures, but to fulfill them. Author Greg Gilbert writes this. He says, so when Jesus said that the Law of Moses and the Prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled, he was endorsing and ratifying the authority of the entire Old Testament from start to finish. Then, how about the New Testament? The New Testament wasn't written until after Jesus returned to the Father in heaven. But in John 16, 12 through 15, as Jesus is giving final instructions to his apostles, he explains to them that he will send the Holy Spirit to relay to them additional teaching that he wants them to have. And that is exactly what the apostles record as the Spirit inspired them to write the rest of the New Testament. Church, my hope is that all of this information will give us increased confidence to know that we can trust the Bible. However, I believe the primary way that we can find out if what the Bible teaches is true or not is by putting it into practice. Only then, only then will we discover whether or not the Bible is personally reliable, And this is exactly what Jesus challenges us to do when he says this, anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. And that is exactly what happened to MIT professor Rosalind Picard. She describes her story this way. As early as grade school, when I was a straight A student, I identified with being smart. And I believe smart people didn't need religion. As a result. I declared myself an atheist and dismissed people who believed in God as uneducated. In high school, I babysat to earn money, and one of my favorite families was a young couple. Both the husband, a doctor, and the wife were really sharp. One night, after paying me, they invited me to church. I was stunned. People this smart actually went to church? When Sunday morning came around, I told them that I had a stomach ache. And Eventually, the couple tried a different tack. They said, going to church is not what matters most. What matters is what you believe. Have you read the Bible? The doctor suggested starting with Proverbs. And to my surprise, Proverbs was full of wisdom. I had to pause while reading and actually think. And then I read through the entire Bible. I felt this strange sense of, of being spoken to. I began wondering whether there really might be a God. She goes on to tell her story of finding her way back to God as she opened herself up to the the possibility that he was real and that the Bible was true. And she goes on to say this. I once thought I was too smart to believe in God. Now, now I know I was an arrogant fool who snubbed the greatest mind in the cosmos, the author of all science, mathematics, art, and everything else there is to know. Today, I walk humbly, having received the most undeserved grace. And really, this is exactly what happened to me. My college years were some of the most formative years of my life. I was beginning to study the Bible deeply and I was more deeply embracing my sense of calling into full-time ministry. But I have to be honest with you. There was a big part of me that, that was scared. I was afraid. I was afraid that I would not be able to do it. And even more than that, I was afraid that even if I could do it, I wouldn't be able to provide enough for my family and for the family that I wanted to have in the future. I knew that God's word said that he would provide everything I would need if I trusted him, but I really struggled to believe it. I I struggled to trust it. I struggled to give up my sense of control. I struggled to give up my vision for for what I wanted for my future. I wish I could say that I I started with 100% faith that God's word would prove to be reliable in this area of my life. But I just didn't. I had just enough faith to trust him one step at a time. At times, it kind of felt as though I I was walking out on a bridge that I wasn't sure could hold me. Each step felt like a big risk, but each little step also proved to be solid and trustworthy. So the steps got easier and easier as I learned to trust its reliability over and over and over again. And while this fear, sometimes it still finds its way into my heart, into my mind, especially when I think about my, my kids getting older and going to college or retirement, but now I really know that God will provide all that we need because because as I've trusted his word with my life, I've tested its reliability and I can now tell you story after story after story of how God has provided above and beyond for me and for my family. It hasn't always been easy, but we've always had enough and we've always been able to be generous with other people. And now as a result, I can more fully trust and rest in the truth of God's promises in Scripture because I've personally lived it. I've personally tested it. And I've personally found it to be the primary thing that I can rely on. And that's what I want to challenge you to do. If you're asking the question, can I trust the Bible? I want to encourage you to read and study it. But even more, I want to challenge you to try it. Read it. Reflect on it respond to what it says, live by its teaching, follow its commands, and you will experience its trustworthiness. James, the brother of Jesus, encourages us to become doers of the word. He wrote, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, do what it says. It's when we become doers of the word that we'll discover that the Bible is not just historically reliable, it's not just culturally reliable, it's also personally reliable. We'll find that the Bible is not simply a history book or a set of rules to follow. Instead, it's an incredible library of books that God has given us to help us understand who he is and how he wants to be in relationship with us. And if you're not sure where to start in engaging with the Bible, just start by reading the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Or I'd also recommend our Community Daily. The Community Daily will help you not just be a reader of God's Word, but a doer of His Word. Because every day, you'll receive a Bible reading that follows the Big Idea theme from the previous Sunday. And you can use the QR code on the screen to sign up right now. And beginning tomorrow, the Daily will be sent right to your inbox before you wake up. If you're starting out on a spiritual journey, have some questions, or are skeptical about the trustworthiness of the Bible, you are not alone. In fact, we welcome a thoughtful approach to faith and life, and would hope you find our community to be a safe place to ask questions. We're a community seeking to know the God of the Bible, and we are open to wrestling with challenging questions. So let's, let's open the Bible and continue to search for answers together. Let's, let's try on the teachings of Jesus and see if they not only prove reliable, let's see if we have an encounter with the God of the Bible in the process. Because in the end, these words are meant to lead us to Jesus. And if you earnestly engage with them, you will find him. We hope you were encouraged and challenged by today's message. Our mission is to help you find your way back to God. And by listening today, you've already taken your first step. And we'd love to help you take a next step in your relationship with God, the church, and the world. It's how we're all embracing the flourishing life that Jesus talks about, a life we call U+. Visit communitychristian.org to take a next step, learn more, give generously, and plan your visit. We hope to see you on a Sunday soon.